listening to the Hugh Flourish Church Podcast, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, dedicated to helping you flourish in your faith. For more information about our mission and how you can get involved, please visit www.youflourishchurch.org. Glorious holy name I pray, Jesus. Amen. I, I was born in a faraway galaxy most popularly known as the late 1970s, which, and that means that, that my childhood was in the 80s, and that, and there's no argument about this, that is the golden age of the action figure. Prior to that, so I'm a child in the 80s, and I remember meeting an adult who was looking at my action figures and saying, man, when I was growing up, my, my action figures were locked in place, per, immortalized in one position forever. And, and after that, they, they got robotic and there were strings in the back and, 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 and too much happened. But I was there. I was there when it all came together in the 1980s for the action figure. And, and, and I would get lost with those action figures and my entire house would just be like magically transformed into a world and, and the nightstand was like a skyscraper and, and couches were mountains and I would just be lost in this play for hours and hours and hours. Well, one day my older cousins came my older cousins were there. I have one older brother. And, and I didn't think action figures could get any better. And then they came up with a plan. They said, we're going to have the action figures repel, right? Grab a rope and jump off the balcony and land. Now, I'm the baby of the group. There are four of us, but I'm obviously the one that is most obsessed so my oldest cousin goes and his action figure repels and just lands in perfect action form. And then his brother goes and, and, it, and it lands down and it like, it like just lands and, and it's in perfection. And then my brother throws his over the balcony and again, like flawless. And then I went. And my dude, he goes to repel. He gets stuck like seven ways down and, and he just keeps falling. And when he lands, he's got like one leg up in the air, one around his back. Like somehow he lost an arm on the way down. And when he lands, I mean like, like it's a mess. And my cousins and brother just erupt in laughter and they're screaming, dude, how did your dude get so tangled up like that? What did you do? And, and, and clearly it wasn't my fault. So I'm looking at my action figure and saying, dude, how did you get yourself in this position? How did you get all tangled and knotted? How is it that you find yourself in this place? And you and I together are gonna read the second half of Acts 23. And I want that question reverberating through your brain. Paul, how did you get yourself tangled up like that? How did you end up in this place? Will you read with me Acts chapter 23? 
I pick up in verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought, brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they're going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they're ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you've informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against them. So the soldiers, according to their instruction, took Paul, brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked, what province was he from? And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Paul, how did you get tangled up like that? When I was in college, I, I, I worked at a camp and, and I liked a lot of things about this camp. Um, but there was this one thing that I, I, I detested then, I hate now, and I will despise for all of eternity. Uh, they, they called it caving. Some people call it spelunking. 
but it, it's, it's the world's most horrible idea. It's you find a hole in the ground and you say, let me shove my body into it. I, I swore to myself that I would never do this. I like caving when I watch Scooby-Doo when they're just walking around and there's a big flashlight and there's like a Denny's in the background and you can stop by the Taco Bell. But, but this isn't like that, right? You're just cold and hard and in, the, in between boulders. And, and my job was not only to go in there, but to lead a pack of children inside of it with me. And then one summer, I met this little boy named Josh. Josh was different than everybody else. Josh stood a little bit smaller than the rest of the kids. Josh moved a little bit slower than the rest of the kids. And and Josh processed information slower than everybody else. And so when I, when I, when we would go into these, it, I mean, you needed to be paying attention the entire time. And so I would, I would talk to all of the children and I would give them instructions about what we're going to do when we're in this horrible place inside of the earth. And I would say, we're going to do this and we're going to, and then I would turn to the group and say, does everybody understand? And they would all say yes. And then I would turn to Josh and I would say, Josh, did you understand? And every time he would say the same thing, he would say, I go next to you. And I would explain things again, the group, everybody get it. And Josh would say, I go next to you. Do you know how Paul got tangled up in this mess? He turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I go next to you. Right, he followed the man of sorrows. Do you know what happens when you follow the man of sorrows? He followed the suffering servant. Do you know what happens when you follow the suffering servant? He followed, he went next to the one who said, they're going to betray me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed. Do you know what happens when you say, I go next to him? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like for your day to day? What is your experience like when you stop and you say, Jesus, I go next to you. Paul is not surprised by this. Before he ever even set foot in Jerusalem, a prophet shows up at his face, takes his belt, ties his hands, ties his feet, and, 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 and throws himself on the ground and said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is going to be you. And Paul says, not only am I willing to be bound and delivered, I am willing to die for this man named Jesus. That is how Paul shows up in this. We, th- this, this, this text opens with the words, when it was day, the, day, the night, the, excuse me, the day before, the day before he had been, he had been like, th- there was such chaos in his life that they thought that, that he was going to be ripped apart. And that night, Jesus shows up to him and said, Paul, take courage. Take courage. I am with you. And then then a plot, when daytime comes, a plot begins to happen. They devise a plan. 
When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath to not eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there's like 40 of them putting this plan together. There's 40 of them that saying, listen, food will not go into my mouth. Drink will not go into my mouth until he's dead. In other words, I am willing to die a very slow death to guarantee his quick one, right? It's, this is an assassination plot and 40 of them bound themselves together to pull this off. They saying, listen, draw Paul in. You draw Paul in and we'll make this happen. So they do. Except verse 16 tells us the son of Paul's sister hears of the ambush. So he goes and, 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 and he hears of the ambush. Paul's nephew, the, 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 the son of his sister, hears of the ambush. And he goes and tells them. And, and, and the plan gets exposed. The plan gets exposed. Now, now here's what I love about this. Let, let, let me do this a little aside. We don't even know his name, right? You don't even know his name. His name is not recorded in history. But think about the role that he plays in the larger narrative. Think about that. And all he does, all that he does is, is what he knows to do with what's in front of him. He gets this information and he acts rightly. I remember taking this language class um, and I'm in this language classroom and there was this dude and, and I mean, he drove everybody insane. He would always sit right in the front and he would always ask questions that weren't, that didn't have anything to do with what we were talking about then, but, but had to do with things that we we're gonna be learning later, right? It is hard to learn a new language, right? But if you're asking questions about syntax and grammar, when we're trying to learn the alphabet, it complicates stuff. And dude was always inducing and introducing anxiety for himself and everybody else. The professor would be explaining things and he would say, oh, but what about when we get to like, and he would be like throwing things ahead and like everybody would get thrown off. And one day the professor stopped him. He said, listen, I know what I'm doing. If you just trust, if you just act, if you just take exactly what I put in front of you now and be faithful to that, when we get to that, I got you, right? How about you? How about the nephew, right? All he did, God put something in front of him and he changes the course of history. Does he know about that? I don't know. Is he aware of that? I don't know. When you act faithfully with what's in front of you, will you know? I don't know. Probably not. How many things are invisible to your eyes but make massive difference in someone else's narrative because you are faithful precisely and only with what is in front of you? He was faithful. And the whole thing 
begins to come undone. The whole thing becomes to undone. So, so Paul calls a centurion. The centurion gets somebody else and, and he's taken to the commander. He's taken to the tribune and, and the whole plot gets exposed. Now, if you're careless, if you are careless, if you don't read this well, if you just glance at it, you're gonna come to the wrong conclusion. If you microscope in, if you just microscope into this and you miss the panoramic, if you scrutinize the leaf, if you scrutinize the leaf and you miss the Amazon rainforest, you're not going to understand this because you're going to look at this and you're going to say the government, the empire rescued Paul. The one who rescued Paul out of this, you're going to come to the conclusion that the empire did it. Governor Felix took matters into his own hands and saved everything. But here's what's actually really happening, right? You're the rabbit, right? You're the rabbit and you just got rescued from the hunter by a pack of wolves. Right, Here, here's, here's the rabbit, okay? And the hunter, his, his scope is set, right? I don't hunt, so I'm not sure if this is how actually a scope works, right? But somebody out there hunts and it's like, it's not like that, it's like this. And I'm like, same thing, dude, right? But you're the rabbit, you're the rabbit. And, and, and the hunter, he's got his scope on you and his scope is set and the target is locked and his, 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 his finger is on the trigger. And all of a sudden, a hand snatches down and rescues the rabbit. And you go, it's mother rabbit. It's not mother rabbit. It's a pack of wolves. You hear the words. Shh. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. And just as you're, that trigger's about to get pulled, just before that, in swaggers in, a pack of wolves. That's exactly what is happening here. Paul gets rescued out of the hands of the Sanhedrin into the hands of the Roman Empire. Let me say that a little differently. Paul, Paul gets rescued out of the hands of man-made religion into the hands of man-made justice. And neither one is gonna work. One is a quick death, one is a slow one. One is fast, one is elaborate. But they both land them in the same space. Here's religious, this is what man-made religion is like. Imagine I walk up to you and I say, hey, I am actually, I'm here to, to perform your brain surgery. And you go, have you ever seen a brain before? And I'm like, no, but I got this. I'm gonna perform your brain surgery anyway. That's absurd and preposterous. But people walk up to you and say, this is what God is like. And I go, have you ever seen God? And the answer is no. Well, then how do you know what he's really like? Well, if I operate on you for brain surgery and I don't know what I'm doing, the damage is incalculable and quick. 
If somebody tells you what God is like, but they don't know what God is like, the damage is incalculable, but slow and prolonged and eternal. But he is rescued out of that into the hands of government. And if you begin to see government here or the Roman Empire as, as, as the rescue, then, then you're short-sighted. You're nearsighted. You're myopic. You're missing it. This is the same empire that put Jesus on a cross. Do you think Paul is safe in their hands? This is the very same empire that said, listen, we don't want a quick death. We want a slow one. We don't want just him to be decapitated. We want him tortured slowly until he's done. Listen, the Romans perfected the cross, right? Here's what they realized, that if you impale somebody, they die. It's effective, but it's too quick. So they said, how do we slow that down? Same result, but much longer process to make sure that nobody messes with us. They're the ones that perfected this Roman torturing device. Do you really think, do you really think they're the ones that are going to rescue him? Now, if you look at it too quickly, it sure looks like that's it. I'd hate to have a conversation about politics in our day and how if you're too short-sighted, you'll look at that next, that next political presence as your ultimate rescue. I would hate to have that conversation. But listen, some, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses and some trust in military prowess, but that is not who Paul is. But my question is, is that who you are, right? Because if you look at this too quick, it looks like, it looks like Paul is being rescued by Governor Felix. As, as, as the book of Acts unfolds, you'll hear what Luke really thinks of Felix, and it's not positive. But here's the thing. If you read every historian of the time, Luke is like the kindest one to him. He was violent and corrupt and ineffective. And Paul just got ripped out of the hands of the Sanhedrin and put in the hands of Rome. So here's the question. Has he really been rescued? But that brings us to our next question. If it's not the empire rescuing Paul. What's really going on? If Paul is not safe in the hands of the empire, whose hands is he safe in? Now we're going to go, we're going to take two ways. Some of y'all, I know what you're like. You like the direct route, right? Some of you like the direct route. And, 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 and let me just say this fast. Okay. This book is called Acts. That's for the Acts of the Apostles, right? I've always thought it's, that's wrongly named. It should not be the Acts of the Apostles. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, right? And there you have it. That's the direct one. That's how we get there fast, right? But some of y'all like the scenic route. I'm a scenic route kind of uh, 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 guy. So let me, tell you, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. So there's this guy. And, and, and he's hearing things about Jesus and questions are beginning to bounce around his skull, 
right? There's some questions that are about this man named Jesus that are, that are dancing in his brain, that are reverberating in his dome, but he can't ask them. Right, because if he asks those questions, he will lose his status. He'll lose his position. He knows the people around him. He knows who they think Jesus really is. He knows what they think about Jesus. And if he begins to ask these genuine questions about who Jesus is, it's going to mess with his entire life. So he comes up with this great plan. He shows up in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, nobody can see him. And he shows up there and he says, Jesus, we know you have got to be from God because nobody, nobody can do the stuff that you're doing. And Jesus goes, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. You cannot enter. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And dude's mind explodes. He goes, what? Born a, like, listen, first birth, I get that. I get that. I've heard about it, right? But it's like second, like, am I like crawling back in? And then I got to like, how, did, how does that even work? How does that even work? And Jesus says, listen, you're a teacher of the things of God and you don't get that? What's going on? Jesus begins to say, listen, the things, the things that are of the flesh are of the flesh, but the things that are of the spirit are of the spirit. And he goes on to say, listen, God was so enamored with you. God was so in love with you that he gave, he gave his son to die your death, that if you believe in him, if you trust in him, you'll have eternal life. You'll get into the kingdom of God. And as he's saying this, he says, listen, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit, that is spirit. Now get this, he don't stop. He goes, the wind, the, the spirit, the spirit, it's like the wind, Right? It's like the wind. You, you hear the sound, but you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. It does whatever it wants. The Spirit does not stop to ask you for directions. It does not stop to check in with you to see if you're okay with what's going on. The Spirit of God just does whatever it pleases. It is always ever in control. So when you look back at what is going on, when you look back at what is happening in this scene, who is really rescuing Paul out of the hands of the Sanhedrin? Who is it that really pulled him out of where he was and transferred him to a place that actually looks worse? It's the Holy Spirit guiding, leading, not checking in with you to see if you're scared, not checking in with you to see if it's okay. He is good. And he is faithful and he is kind and he is gentle and he is ever present and he is with you. Amen. Now get this, get this. There is only one way to have that spirit 
And we hear that when Jesus is having that conversation with that man in the night. He said, listen, you, you have a problem. You have a problem. And that problem is not outside you. It is inside you. And we all have it. The Bible calls that sin, and that sin separates you from God. But God becomes a human being. God becomes a human being who says, listen, I will take that from you. I will take that sin, and I will become that sin, and I will die. I will die that torturous death that you should have died. You should have died the prolonged death, but I got it. I will take it so that if you trust in me, if you believe in me, you will enter the kingdom of God. You will enter that. You will have eternal life. But listen, I want you to, 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 to just look at this large scene together with me. There's an assassination plot in this man's life. 40 of the most pious, the most religious band together and say, listen, we die a slow death unless he dies a fast one. And when that, that whole thing blows up, when that whole thing comes undone, he is transferred into the paws of a wolf pack, a bloodthirsty, murderous, unjust wolf pack. But here's the deal. You think he's surprised by this? You think this caught him off guard? He said, listen, I'm going not only am I willing to, to be handed over, but, but I'm willing to die. Now, look, this isn't new for Paul. God was with Ruth through a famine. God was with Shadrach in the middle of the fire. God was with Joseph when he was betrayed by the very ones that should have protected him. This is not new. Are you, are you walking through a hard situation? Are you traveling through some difficulty? Do you feel like when, when finally the target is off of you and you are free from the scope of the hunter only to land, in the midst of a pack of wolves, it might not make sense temporarily, but there's a spirit and he does whatever he wishes. There's this spirit who does whatever he wants. There is this spirit that is eternal and unfailing. And he always, ever points you to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Glorious God. Lord, only, only you know. Lord, you and you only are aware of the, the difficulty, the trial, the turmoil, the wound, the the trauma. God, that every single person listening to this is feeling and feels. 
And God, sometimes it, 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 it feels like we just left an earthquake to enter a tsunami. Lord, like we left the Sanhedrin to the hands of the Roman Empire. But God, you are faithful. You are true, you are good, you're kind. God, in the midst of that, Lord, may our prayer be that we would draw closer to you the ever-present help in time of trouble. Lord, we love you. We trust you in your glorious name. Amen.